What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Big Facts No Cap, the only podcast that's number one with lions with glowing manes and prepubescent cubs with growing pains. I'm Adrian, as always, here with my co-host, Polly Boy, the big dog himself. Let's get big factin'. Let's get no cappin'. Big Facts No Cap. Big Facts No Cap. No Cap. Big Facts No Cap. So what's up, Adrian? What's going on? Uh, not much. You know, Lazy Sunday. Woke up in the late afternoon. Called Parnell just to see what he was doing. Who's Parnell? My friend Chris. Sometimes I just call him by his last name. Chris Parnell. Do I know that person? I don't think so. I went to why, college with him. Why do I know that name? Okay. All right. Yeah, you know, that's about it. Hanging, you know, banging, slanging. Now let's get to the bottom of this Chris Parnell thing. What do you mean get to the bottom of it? Is this a bit? Is that somebody I know or a name I should recognize for some reason? Not everything's a conspiracy, Paul. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. <laughs> Oh, talking about not everything being a conspiracy, did you see the conspiracy behind the woman who ran uh, Mueller she wrote? No, what did she do? A lot of things. It just turns out like her whole career and a lot of things she says about her past have been like lies, right? So Mueller she wrote is like a liberal Democrat conspiracy podcast about like Trump stuff, like, you know, about Mm. all the stuff he did with Russia. Most of it true, but also like... They get weird with it about knowing all the Russian people's names and who connects Mm. to who and what they did. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has, like, a couple things. She's pretty active on Twitter. So, like, there was all these things, like, when somebody would criticize her, she'd be like, you're talking to to a veteran of Desert Storm who got PTSD in battle. And somebody, like, dug into it. And slowly, so every veteran, apparently, or this is considered the Gulf War era, so every veteran has been Hmm. considered a Gulf War era veteran since the end of the Gulf War. She slowly transitioned from saying, I'm a Gulf War era veteran. Apparently, like, her service record started and ended after the last Gulf War. It went from, I'm a Gulf War era veteran, to dropping the word era, I'm a Gulf War veteran, to now she just says, I'm a Desert Storm veteran. Her PTSD is not from service. She never saw combat. It's from a claim that her husband attempted to kill her, but people looked into that and he just got into a car crash with her once before they were married and he wasn't mm. drunk or like, you know, it was like not he wasn't at fault for the car crash. It's just like, I don't know. Her whole life story seems to be a fib. She said uh, she got fired from her job as retaliation for running an anti-Trump podcast and for having PTSD, and people looked into it, and she took a bunch of PTO for having PTSD, and her boss found out she was going on tour with the podcast. I don't know, it just seems like every detail, she claimed her grandpa fought in, like, certain battles and died, but it was like he lived till he was 96. I think she just kind of, like, still been there. (laughs) No, he was at the battle, he just didn't die. She said he he died in battle. Oh, no, no, I meant he could have died at 96 fighting at Normandy. (laughs) He's a very old soldier. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like anytime somebody questioned her on Twitter, she just came up with like an increasingly insane lie to try to win that argument. So there's just so many lies under her belt. I mean, it's very it's funny. already like I didn't want to point it out at the beginning, but that's not an argument to win a strategy, but I like how she thinks it is. <laughs> that she's a vet with Pete. I think the argument is if somebody's like, You're not a patriot because you hate Donald uh, Trump, she gets to go, I am a patriot. I served this country I killed and killed brown people for this country. <laughs> Um, so wait, Paul, uh, let me just summarize what you just said. So don't believe women. You know, here's the thing, Adrian, the school system nowadays, they don't teach people how to read subtext. And I'm mm. glad that we're, we're they still teach you how educated. to read substacks. <laughs> they teach you know what I mean? Read- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we now. were educated in the era where you actually understood what I was getting at there. Back in my day, kids were like, why are we learning algebra? Why don't someone teach us how to do our taxes or like how to like cook food and now they're just like why why are we learning algebra why don't they teach me how to log into my only fans that i'm subscribed to with a bunch of people <laughs> that is such a funny argument when people are like why don't teach why don't schools teach you how to do taxes and it's like 
I, I don't, because like I don't know, you click through an online form. <laughs> what do you think there is to learn? I don't know. Sometimes I you kind of always assume that I'm committing one to be a whole class. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, are certainly not. But about? I do always feel like I'm committing tax fraud when I fill out my fa- uh, taxes. I'm always like I'm probably filling out one of these boxes wrong at least. Maybe that made more sense in the '90s, and it just became a cliche complaint that carried on into Before the internet era. Stuff. But I think yeah. in the internet era, it makes very little sense. Why don't they like teach us how to write a check or write in cursive? <laughs> Were we the last of the cursivers? I think we must have been. No. It was like right at because the Because we learned it at third grade, so there must have been like four or five more years, right, of it? You think so? Like, t- at least until like 2010, right? No. Maybe, I don't know. That was the funniest thing, is that we learned cursive, and then we're actively discouraged from ever using it, because it's harder to read. <laughs> and then Patrick Caleri moves into our class in seventh grade from New York, where apparently they encouraged it, and every teacher fucking hated his writing. <laughs> It is much harder to read. It's insane that anybody ever came up with that as a system of writing. You gotta write fast, bro. It's for when you gotta go zoom, zoom, zoom with your writing. No cap. You know what? I already did this whenever you mentioned liars. And I went into that big Twitter thread story. But if we're talking about- I mentioned conspiracies, not lying. uh, (laughs) You're the one who brought in liars. Conspiracies. And I brought in uh, that other story. But now that you've brought up now that you've brought up White Girl Wasted, I have a story from last night. <laughs> I was at the Indigo D'Souza show, man. And hometown show, Asheville. Uh, she gets up on stage. The crowd is incredibly rude the whole show. Like, talking over her. They were all mansplaining to her? They were all mansplaining to her. She's, She's like, this next song is about, no, it's not. <laughs> it's about a broken relationship. Her songs actually kind of are about how much men suck. Yeah, like, she would start a slow song, and there would be, like, girls talking over her. One person in particular right behind me was, like, not getting the hint. Uh, Indigo D'Souza ended up, and I feel kind of bad about talking about this on my podcast. It was actually, like, very awkward, traumatic moment. Indigo D'Souza turns around, restarts the song a couple times, starts crying, turns around, leaves the stage. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, it was an intense moment. Meanwhile... This is all happening. One of her bandmates is like, you know, he comes up to the mic. He's like, you know, she tries really hard to write these songs. They're very emotional for her. So just like when it's a slower song, be respectful. Try to keep the talking to a minimum. As he's saying that, the girl behind me is the one person in the crowd who hasn't gotten the message at this point. She is white girl plastered, man. Mm. And she is still talking over him (laughs) the whole time. And she's just chatting to her friends. Like, I couldn't even tell everything she was on about. She was so drunk. Uh, She was like... Talking about being a lesbian and what being like, she was like, "You're bisexual." Oh my god! Like, uh, about, I thought she was talking about like international politics or something. No, <laughs> <you said that. laughs> she was like talking about like how she came out as lesbian to the girl next to her, but like just in a very loud, annoying sorority-ish way. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, oh, when Indigo first walked off stage, she was like, "Is she coming back? What do y'all think about the weather recently?" Like, she started doing a bit. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Indigo does come back on stage, continues her set, makes constant reference following that, how sad she is and how, like, miserable she feels. She's like, I'm not doing an encore, I'm going to cry after this show. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't great. She's got to do that thing from Scott Pilgrim where she has a song called We Hate You, We Hate You So Very Much. That way you can be like, this next song goes out to the girl who's fucking drunk in the crowd. So that girl did, the girl next to me, she kept talking after she came out really loudly and obnoxiously. The uh, one girl who's standing, I guess, between me and that girl, like right behind me, she turned around at one point. She's like, are you not getting the hint? You're making everybody really uncomfortable. Like, you need to stop. And that girl did like, she did like the pull it off her earrings, like, oh, let's go, bitch. Like she's like she st- she started putting she did the talk to the hand she put her hand like an inch away from that other girl's face and was like tell tell my fucking hand I don't give a shit bitch like, lick it lick it <laughs> and then that girl I want to say like two songs later very close to the end of the show fainted she passed out Wait, onto the, the talker floor. or the the, the ta- admonisher the talker and that's when she they finally got rid of her that's when somebody finally walked her out Jesus uh, so yeah white girl wasted man. They're out here being cool. goddamn menaces at the Indigo D'Souza show. Jesus. Yeah. I, uh, 
you know, I, I always thought it was a little bit pretentious, but I do totally get it. I'm not I'm not an artist in, in a real uh, deep sense in terms of emotional art. But Foxing has a thing where um, they're one of those bands where, you know, like, you know, when you're a kid, you just assume the guy singing the song is always the one who writes it. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're one of those bands where like different members will write different songs. And there's one who's written by a veteran, and it's about how bad he feels about, <laughs> like, killing people <laughs> across, like, the, the uh, world or whatever and having to head do so. And so it's a song where Connor will talk about, like, yeah, if we just don't feel like the vibe's right in the room, we'll start playing the song and just decide, like, nah, we're not playing it tonight. We're just going to skip that one. <laughs> night. Yeah, yeah. I feel you. Um, I'm usually, like, all for, like, loud, rambunctious shows, but if somebody has a slower song, I mean, it's the same thing as, like, a comedian. Like, if they're trying to let the silence sit, you're ruining it for everyone if you shout Do you imagine if moment. someone was talking during that Hannah Gatsby part of uh, Nanette? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? Because I-, I control the tension. <laughs> and or someone's like- just like, well... <laughs> I mean, even stuff that isn't that serious, but, like, if you just need the silence to sell a joke for a second, like, you just need that mm-hmm. beat so that you can, like, let people sit in an uncomfortable mm-hmm. moment for a second. The other thing that I think about, and this is very much like a microcosm of this problem, it's not a real problem, but um, when I teach labs and I have to, like, awkwardly start the lab every time, usually me raising my voice and being like, okay, it's time to start lab is enough. And college students are actually pretty good at, like, if a, one couple of uh, students start keeps talking while I'm trying to start lab, everyone will stare at them <laughs> until they, like, finally stop. But, the like, the other thing that I've had to do is, like, I'll just bring out the battle rap thing. I'll be like, hold it down, y'all. <laughs> hold it down for one goddamn second while I start this lab. That's so funny. Yeah, everybody did try to shave this girl. She was getting dirty stares all over from, like, our section of the crowd. She was so drunk. She mm. did not give a shit. Why didn't you get Ben to, like, kill switch engage her? What's that mean? It's a wrestling move. Ah, <laughs> uh, Ben doesn't have. He's that much type bigger of than her, I assume. Cool. Anything else? Uh, any media roundup or other cool stuff from Asheville? Oh my god! I spent so much of the beginning of this podcast just talking about stuff. That hey, that's what we need to do. That's that was the assignment. <laughs> you understood the assignment. <laughs> um, should I do my media roundup and things from the week? Yeah. Let's see. Phil was in a movie today, so that's cool. I'm going to be looking out for his scene. Um, Is this one of those things where Phil told you his life was a movie before no, you told no, no. the story and you misunderstood? <laughs> um, there's a local filmmaker who's not very beloved, so I don't know what to say. Usually you say like a beloved local filmmaker, but <laughs> apparently he needed uh, some local comedians for a scene at a record store. And so Phil doesn't like the line that he had. So he went through with me where he was like, I'm going to write a bunch for the blooper reel that I'm going to use that I think are funnier. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And they're filming it at Papa Jazz in Columbia. And so he had a bunch of jokes that was like, ah, Papa Jazz, that's my second Papa besides John's. Um, <laughs> and like, he went through like 10 of these with me and they were all Papa based. And I was like, have you made sure that they're not changing the name of the record store in the movie and that those still make sense? <laughs> and he was like, I haven't checked, but I don't think he did. And then he called me today and was like, yeah, it's it's a different name in the movie. <laughs> None of those make any sense. <laughs> it's Blue's Mama. <laughs> no, it's called uh, Here, Here, Kitty, but here is uh, spelled H-E-A-R. Paul, any other shit? Any of the bullshit? Nah, I'm good. You want to get into columns? No, we have to do the theme first, Paul. Oh yeah, let's get into the theme. Alright, the theme. Growing Pains. Mm. Paul, can you explain to people, because one of the things that you learn about for uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in teaching is that you don't want to use overly culturally specific idioms and stuff like that. But uh, so can can you for our audience tell us uh, what that means? Growing pains is like an actual physical thing, right? When somebody like has a growth spurt, like certain muscles and bones can hurt. But I think it's, it's mostly in the muscles. But it's also like a metaphorical thing for like, puberty's hard, like, growing up is hard, growing pains. Uh, from what I learned is that there's actually no evidence that it's associated with growing, just that it's correlated with when people usually have the most growth during their uh, life. Uh, so it's not like the muscles actually, as it gets longer, is it growing? No, right? it's it's like... par- that's apparently a bit dubious. Okay. And then it can also be like old people, right? Like if somebody like recently, I don't know, started going to therapy, you could be like, uh, they could be like, yeah, it's really hard to work on yourself. You can be like, eh, growing pains, you know? Like, it, it I can feel be like for, I think I about it stage in life. For media, I think about it mostly as like a thing where a small company CEO usually says that. Oh, yeah. 
We're like, we just moved into a bigger office. We just hired a bigger team. There's going to be some growing pains as we get into the next quarter. That's true. That's true. Growing pains can definitely be like, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Paul, when have you experienced growing pains? The first time, the first time I had to remember to take my car for a uh, six months tune up, I was like, I just got to remember this every six months for the rest of my life. The fuck? Same for the first time. Six month tune up? Yeah. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Shame for the, uh, wait, do you not change your oil? That happens every three months. Oh, I I guess I just extend mine a lot. (laughs) Okay, okay, cool. So I come out looking more responsible now. (laughs) Same with the, uh, six months to the dentist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just talked about that last week, yeah. Like, the first time I had to remember to schedule my own dentist appointment, I was like, oh my god, this is, for the rest of my life, I gotta, like, plan and schedule this? That's yeah. crazy. That was a big joke when I was at Trivia, like, a month or two ago, was uh, how everyone's like, huh, going to the dentist. They're like, yeah, when can we schedule in six months from now? Is Tuesday, September 8th okay? And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing Tuesday, September 8th, bitch! That's how my friends talk. Wait, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be morning 9-11 Eve, Eve, Eve? I don't know what I'm going to be celebrating on 9-11 Eve, 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 bitch. <laughs> what if that's how you did it? September 8th was, was six months away. September 8th, that's 9-11 Eve, Eve, Eve. Yeah, I think I'm free that day. I think I can do the AM, but not the PM. <laughs> oh my god. Did you ever know those ner- Did you ever know there's those nerd-ass kids where if they had a doctor's appointment at like noon- they would actually come back afterwards, whereas, like, my mom would be like, off for the rest of the day. We're not doing other... <laughs> not, I'm not taking yeah, you back. That's insane. I, my, my parents never took me back to school after pulling me mm-hmm. out. That's so funny. That really is, like, what? what's wrong with those parents? Who would do that to their kid? They're missing out on valuable education. I guess to me, man, I, I guess every kid hates school, but I, I don't know. I would have been so sad. Oh, uh, uh, not just small businesses, TV shows, Growing Pains. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's how often people describe season one. Is Parks and Rec uh, number one for able to turn it around after a terrible first season? Yeah, it must be. Will and Grace had a bad one, but it wasn't like bad, bad. Uh, Yeah, I think, you see, like Parks and Rec, almost I wouldn't consider growing pains because they like refactored the show to make it work after a mm. like bad first season. Seinfeld mm-hmm. was like more like it was kind of all there, but like they just had to, you know, tune it up to get it to actually mm-hmm. work. Mm. You know, growing pains, growing pains. That is also a sitcom that ran for like eight years on NBC or ABC. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was a little bit old for us. I don't think we, I don't think I even caught reruns of it. But Alan Thicke was the star. All right. Do you want to get into columns? Uh, so I think what we talked about in our discussion of growing pains is that kind of just means anytime, uh, during a transition that there is pain or, uh, uh, inconvenience. So that's how I'm pitching this one. Uh, I am bringing in Karen feeding. So Paul, we're going to be talking about little chitlins. This is by Michelle Herman, August 14th, 2022. After all I've done for my brothers, why can't they support me now? Nice. I brought in a Karen feeding, but a different one. I was so worried as you went through that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Dear Karen feeding, my two younger brothers and I had a lousy childhood with shared awful experiences that helped us develop a close, unconventional relationship in which I took on a maternal role. Flash forward to today, I've recently had a baby of my own, and my brothers want nothing to do with my child, and thus, by extension, me. The younger of the two, let's call him Dalton, who just got his master's degree and has struggled to find a job, has always been a little self-centered, but lately things have ramped up. He gets annoyed at even the mention of my daughter during our daily phone calls. He does not ask about her, and has even gone as far as complaining about my sending pictures of the baby in our family group chat, so I stopped. He begrudgingly met her once at a family event a month ago, and it was very uncomfortable. He lives four hours away, so he uses that as an excuse for not seeing her or visiting me during my recovery, although he certainly had the time and resources to do so. My other brother, let's call him Davey, moved to be closer to me two years ago. In fact, moved in with us. 
Then we had a conflict over his girlfriend that contributed to his moving out of our house. He now lives with her. I honestly thought things were getting better between us until my daughter was born. I make an effort to invite him to something every week, and every week he declines or says he'll be there but then blows me off at the last minute. He briefly came to see us in the hospital when she was born, but since then hasn't asked about her and has made no effort to see her. I am indescribably hurt by both situations. I've always been there to cheer them on, but now that I have something to celebrate, I feel abandoned by them. They are my only real family, and I feel like my baby is going to grow up not knowing either of them. And as I try to navigate new motherhood, this feels like a black cloud hanging over me. My daughter is so sweet, snuggly, and amazing. It pains me to think that anyone, much less two people I really love, want nothing to do with her. Her birth should not have been a surprise to them. My husband and I had wanted a child for years. Now I'm at a loss for what to do about Dalton and Davy. Take a step back, cut them out entirely, keep trying to make contact. The situation has me feeling very hurt and isolated. New mommy, no family. Uh, so this is about the growing pains of uh, uh, your family life as you As your family on. grows. As your family grows. You know how, like, 90% of advice columns are like, my mother-in-law is trying to poison me, and my husband said he agrees that it's wrong to poison people, but also sees that she has a point. What should I do, Abby? And there's, it's like, so obvious that something, like, what exactly what you should do. This is, this is one of those rare ones where, you didn't throw a softball, you know what I mean? Like, 90% of advice columns are softballs, and I think, like, this is one where it's like, ooh, I don't, I don't think there's an obvious answer that I can give to feel smug about. She gave out very selective information mm. about this whole situation. Because mm. my reading of it is like a psychoanalytic one of like, she took on a role as being like their mother, and now they're mad that she's having more children, and uh, none of them, neither of them want to admit that because that's a weird thing to admit in your psychology, but something about that is uh, irking them. Whereas, I don't know how you read it. They don't want a younger sister. Yeah, yeah, I see. I see that. But we definitely don't have enough information to actually say that with any confidence. It's a that's possibility. That's what I'm saying. This, this, this is the information that she gave us. Oh, you think she was kind of leading us to that conclusion by choosing to include the information? I'm just saying that's what she said. Mm. So, but th at that point, then we're like, okay, is she an unreliable narrator? Did she Probably. forget to mention that the baby... The baby's father is uh, Alex Jones? <laughs> Did she forget to mention that the baby's father is Alex Jones? If her husband has any fault in this, she certainly doesn't describe any of it. But also, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't like kids. Dorley doesn't like kids, but we still like, uh, like Nando's little baby. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think these people just generally dislike kids. I feel like she would have mentioned that if she was like, oh, and they're both child free and constantly ranting about babies. Right. But then what, what's the, what, what's the alternative, uh, idea then? That, that's why I said it's so hard. It's like, it doesn't seem like she knows. If she does know or is just not being perceptive about something incredibly obvious, then no advice is going to help. But if she's giving us all the information she can give us, then it's like, ooh, I don't know. Like, that's a tough one to tackle. It's weird to get annoyed at the mention of someone's daughter, though. It seems like it's the daughter, right? And not the... They were fine before the daughter came. Do you think she named the daughter something that's, like, ooh. oddly inappropriate, like, right after, like, their other dead sibling or something really <laughs> uncomfortable? Mm. Although I guess that's actually usually a nice tribute. What would be something uncomfortable? Maybe after like their deadbeat dad or something's name. Doesn't even let them send pictures of their baby in the family group chat. Oh, I know what it is. She had a fur baby. Ooh, she had a truck baby. <laughs> she had a car baby like Tatan. No, no, no. She she just bought a she just bought a pet dog. Oh, and this is her warped perspective on how important that, that animal that is, is to her and life. And she just does not realize that they're like, can you stop sending us pictures of your puppy? Like, it was kind of cute for the first two, but we don't need, like, a group chat full of a picture a day. Is this a Black Mirror episode, Paul? Because I think you just cracked the twist. I think that might actually be it. Like, you live four hours away. You should be able to come visit my puppy. And it's like, no, I want to drive four hours to meet a fucking puppy. <laughs> to, be, to see a dog. She's like... When he did come, he was like, it was kind of awkward. He only talked to her for like a second. It's like, yeah, it's a dog. Like, he pet her a little that bit. That makes so much sense. Because, like, how is it awkward to meet a baby? It's a baby. You, just, you, you dap it up and then you get out of there. What are you talking about? It was awkward. Like, he's, he's, he was standing there in a suit, stuck his hand out for the handshake. We can shake, huh? 
We can't take There's off. a lot about a woman. There's a lot about a baby. I'm telling you, fur baby. That might be it. In which case, I'm going to reverse what I said before, and I have to imagine this is a white woman, but who knows. <laughs> um. Okay, so one of them lives far away. The other one lives close by and even lived with them, but just blows her off every week. That seems weird to me in that, like, I feel like two times of someone blowing me off in a row, that's like, all right, I'm done inviting that person. She's got more perseverance than I do. If, if Dorley doesn't answer two of your calls, you're not calling a third time? That's not an invitation to go do something. That's a me calling her. <laughs> but also, yeah, I would let her call me back. What are you talking about? Unless I thought she was dead or something. But that's more of a her thing, where she always thinks I'm dead if I don't answer twice. <laughs> she really got that from my mom. That is true. People are not talking about this epidemic of people who are dead when you're trying to call them. I think it's more of a correlational thing than, like, a <laughs> definitive thing. But, I mean, I told you that, like, um, you know what we were actually just talking about in the interior designs episode? Uh, how I used to rearrange my room for feng shui, like, every six months. And when Dorley and I were living together, I remember I was, I had the night off from, like, work and college stuff. So I got myself a bottle of wine, I was smoking a bunch of weed, and I was going to re- just rearrange my room, listen to music, and then go to bed. And then because I was smoking a bunch of weed in our apartment back in South Carolina, where it's still illegal, which it's so funny to me that Phil t- talked about his dealer the other day, and I was like, I forgot that you can't just go buy that online. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I was doing all that, I was smoking a bunch of weed, and so I was a little bit worried about, uh, like, I don't know, my apartment finding out. So I put the deadbolt lock on our door. Um, and then I ended up passing out and going to bed. Uh, Dora Lee and her then boyfriend came home, couldn't open the door because the deadbolt was on. And so they went, they had to drive all the way back to Gilbert to spend the night with my mom. And Dora Lee was 100% convinced that I locked the door because I had killed myself. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, is, is that your perception of me? <laughs> that like, they were like, Adrian's got one night without me and the other person around. He's definitely going to off himself. <laughs> That is such a funny move. That is, like, the anxiety from getting high where you're like, yeah, the police are probably gonna burst it. Better put on the deadbolt to stop that from And then happening. Dorley's like, he killed himself. He's gone, baby. <laughs> I think it was like, I don't know. I think that might, I was way happier then than I am now, but I guess that was one of Dorley's concerns. Because there was one time where they were both leaving for work in the morning, and my plan was to do shrooms uh, that day. And she was like, all right, well, don't go crazy. Don't kill yourself. And I was like, why would you say that before I'm about to do shrooms? Um, so I don't know. Maybe I just give off that I knew you back then, Adrian. I think you might be looking at the grass is always greener. You were kind of sad back then, too. I'm sad now. I'm sadder now. (laughs) How do you know you're sadder now? Because I measure the sadness with my, um, e-reader. What do you, what do they call it? The Thetan meter? Uh, Uh, some guy who was talking about the Church of Scientology. I thought that smartwatch you had on measured your sadness for you and you had the graph. It's not a, it's not a smartwatch. It's a Fitbit. Once again, also measures health, but thank you for correcting me. Yeah, just letting you know. Are you just letting me know? Let's do a little G-check, bruv. <laughs> All right, Zandy Jordan. We haven't got to bring her into this. Um, okay, uh, anything else about um, not suicide? Trigger warning to all of our <laughs> all of our fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 90% of them are literally listening to this on the edge of a building, <laughs> contemplating whether or not they should jump. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. All I'm going to say is, I'm saying don't do it. Uh, you know, there's always, a, there's always a better way out. I'm saying if you do do it, at least have a wingsuit on so the cops have to wonder if it was a suicide or if you were just really stupid and thought that was going to work. Could you imagine <laughs> jumping off a building with a wingsuit on so they just everybody has to wonder, like, did he really think that was going to work? <laughs> he just looked like a dumbass. <laughs> Good point. I'm, nobody should ever commit suicide. It's horrible. It really affects the people in your life so horribly. <laughs> but if you are going to do it, you should do it like that. Just come on. <laughs> a little bit of whimsy into all our lives. <laughs> That feels like a stand-up bit that someone's probably done. Okay, Growing Pains, this family, I feel bad for them. It's be, feel, it sucks to come from a broken home where you don't have much family going around. Why not just get into your husband's family? Or is he one of those weird white people that only has, like, one sister? And then says things like, I'm not that close to them, and you're like, what? You're not close with your siblings? Are you a sociopath? How does that happen? And that's, and you're, you're not close to your cousins, or you're not close to, like, you guys didn't hang out, or none of that? Like, did you- are they, like, a step-sibling and you didn't grow up with them? Or, like, they're a really different one of, Yeah, it's one like, of those no, weird things we were, because, like, 20 years older? <laughs> they're like, no, we were one year apart, grew up together in the same house our whole lives, and you're like, what What the fuck is wrong with you? 
What does that mean? <laughs> that is like a white person thing to be like, yeah, we were one year apart, grew up in the same house, but I'm just not that close. It's like, what do, what do you mean? <laughs> did, did you you, guys, <laughs> you didn't run into each other in the hallway and have a little chat? Like, what's going on? It was like a work relationship. Like, they're always in the elevator, just like nod to each other. <laughs> I don't know, man. Sometimes you and your sibling, you fill out beefing. Mm. Oh, she does ask direct questions, though. So take a step back, cut them out entirely, keep trying to make contact. If those are your options, I would say just take a step back. Don't cut them out entirely. It doesn't seem like they're bad people. And then keep trying to make contact. Like doing it out of disrespect. Maybe they have a weird thing around kids. Maybe they are. I just still think it's people. my psychoanalytical thing. I don't know. You think you think they're worried about the mommy having a new little baby boy to take care of? They're also doing that thing that makes it impossible to confront them because they're not being explicit that they dislike you or your baby. They're being avoidant. Of you and your baby, so confronting them can backfire in the sense that they go, "You're just acting crazy." Like I, well, I'm sorry, I had to be at work and couldn't come visit. Like you know, they can do that sort of thing. So if you think they're mature enough to handle a conversation without like getting defensive, then you can try going, "Hey, you know, have the mature conversation." I've noticed that there's some uncomfortable energy. Do you want to talk about this? You know, all that cliche stuff. Um, no, that's dumb. You should do that thing where when you do, you should FaceTime them with the baby and use the baby, like get behind it and have its arms moving. Like you're moving its arms to like make the expressions and be like, why don't you like me? I love you. <laughs> no, no, no. What are you talking about? I love you. No, you go, you go aggressive with that baby. Heard mm. you motherfucking talking shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a good idea. I, I just thought you made the baby too nice. You're right, you're right, you're right. Also, nobody's allowed to get angry at a baby if it says a slur, so that is an option. <laughs> Does that a little baby be like, I don't fuck with, like, I fuck with y'all, but I don't I fuck, fuck with, with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're my homies? But <laughs> you're yeah, my homies. <laughs> like, y'all my boys? But clearly y'all ain't my, my boys. boys. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, use that to instigate the uh, mature conversation. A, if you own a like a, maybe not a real one maybe take get like a toy one and take the orange tip off like a gun or if you own a gun and you just take the bullets out send them a picture of you pointing a gun at your baby and say <laughs> <laughs> show my baby love or else oh my god yeah maybe that's an idea that's an idea that's an idea that is an idea that is technically an idea should we maybe see what Karen Beating has to say about this? I think we gave good enough answers, but sure, we could we could check out if they if they All right. have anything. If we gotta. Dear new mommy, no family. I'm truly sorry you're feeling so hurt and isolated, but feelings and relationships are complicated, and the sort of relationships you've had with your younger brothers are especially complicated. If your role in their lives has been a slash the maternal one, you're becoming an actual mother, yes, even if they have long been aware that you wanted to, might feel destabilizing, confusing, and even painful to them. Okay, so she's going the psychoanalytical route. Mm -hmm. For now, anyway. I think you're jumping the gun, worrying that your daughter won't know- Ooh, she's talking about a gun. She might be doing your advice. <laughs> Uh, you might be jumping the gun, worrying that your daughter won't know her uncles, or that you're losing the only family you have, other than the one that you've created yourself, right? Give this some time. It seems like there already are. It seems like there have already been some growing pains with Davy around his shifting his primary alliance to a girlfriend. If I had to guess, I'd bet that there have been some tricky. Mo I bet that there have been some tricky moments between you and Dalton too, as he began to shift from being a kid you felt responsible for to an adult with a life separate from yours. Parents and their children have to deal with these issues, and perhaps it will help you have perspective if you think for a moment about Dalton and Davy as your grown children, feeling displaced by a brand new sibling, who is all you want to talk about when you talk to them. I'm not saying that this is what they're I'm not saying that what they're doing isn't hurtful or suggesting that you that they are your children rather than your siblings, but only that your expectation that they act like ordinary uncles full of uncomplicated delight about their sister's new baby was always probably unrealistic. If you give yourself the space to imagine how they might feel now, honestly, even if neither of them is fully aware of what they're feeling or why, it may help you feel less gutted by the fact that they seem to lack interest in the baby or in you as a mom. What looks like coldness, I suspect, is just the opposite in disguise. I know you're hurt and angry, but please don't cut them off, for your sake as well as theirs. 
Still, I wouldn't be in constant contact either, not right away anyway. These daily phone calls with Dalton, who is calling whom, I wonder, should stop. They are only causing you distress, and I bet they're distressing him too. It's also time to stop inviting Davey to do something every week. Let him suggest getting together when he's ready to. Our expectations about how others should feel and be, and what they should say and do, are often leading to heartbreak. We're only human. We are full of expectations. But see if you can redirect your energy right now and let go of what you wish your brothers would feel. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that as time passes and they get used to the new order, they will become more engaged, especially if you can ease up on your demands. Even if they are unspoken, your brothers can sense them. Enjoy your daughter. And maybe I'm going to tiptoe out on another limb, okay? Leave some room for the possibility that becoming a mother has stirred up some stuff in you, too, from your harrowing childhood. Parenthood as a way of doing that. Okay, yeah, she really stuck with the narrative that I was going for. I agree that it seems possible. I just, it also seems like potentially not, it doesn't seem like a high enough percentage that it has to be true. What if her husband just sucks? What if her husband just sucks? What if he just really sucks? I I don't know. You know what my brother did when he was having a second child? He's having a second child? He had a second child. What? Yeah, when my brother was having his second child, he primed kid number one by just constantly talking to them about the baby that was going to be in the house, being like, you're going to have a little sister, aren't you so excited, that type of stuff. Mm. Months on end. When the daughter came out, he, that little kid, excited. Mm. I'm thinking that the question asker here fucked up about a year ago for not priming her her brother children for their new younger sister get them excited for it mhm okay you're gonna be a gunkle Are they like, gay? I'm not gay <laughs> <laughs> oh okay well if you're not gonna be a gunkle you're gonna be a gant right That that's the two types of that's the two types of things you can be mhm um alright cool do you wanna go into uh, your call all right, what you got for me, Polly boy? I have Slate's Care and Feeding by Michelle Herman, August 8th, 2021. My teen takes being a know-it-all to new levels. Ooh. And this one made sense as growing pains to me because precocious and smart children are often the most annoying children, and it really takes a certain amount of maturity to realize that nobody wants to hear that shit. Shut up. <laughs> Okay, I feel like I already know the answer. That's kind of how I felt, like, you know, once I reached a certain age, I would cringe thinking back at some younger self things where I'd be like, did I really need to try to make that point? Mm. Which could be the name of this oh. podcast. Yeah, that's true. Garlic aioli? Uh, aioli means garlic and oil. <laughs> My 14-year-old daughter's summer camp spent a week on an anti-racism curriculum. Though, though the majority of the summer was focused on computer programming, she came away with more knowledge about systematic racism in STEM and in broader U.S. society than coding. Now she can't stop well actuallying other family members and even friends out in public. It seems this curriculum presented one clear explanation for a variety of social phenomena in the U.S., and while I think the level and depth of material covered seems appropriate for 14-year-olds, my daughter doesn't realize that she hasn't learned all there is to know about race in America. She truly thinks she has it all figured out. I want to scream every time she pops into someone else's conversation to say, well, actually, X, Y, Z, when her explanation is neither nuanced nor particularly insightful. Mm. I feel like a jerk saying this about my own daughter, and I'm glad she's speaking up. But in addition to how uncomfortable this makes me, she's white, and I cringe especially when she well actually is biracial members of our family. It's quite frankly just really annoying, because she takes up airtime and sucks a nuance out of conversation. I'd feel this way no matter what the subject. Whenever I mention that she should spend more time listening, continue pushing her own thinking, value the lived experiences of others, she says I'm being racist by not being anti-racist, by shutting her down, I guess. I know Ooh. I know, arrogance is part of being a teen, but how do I get my daughter to realize she isn't the tiny MLK? Yo, young MLK. <laughs> that should be a rap name. Tiny MLK could definitely be a Rick and Morty character, though. Mm -hmm. Hey, look at me, I'm tiny MLK. Uh -huh. 
Racism's bad. <laughs> I had a dream during a nap. Free at last. Free at last from detention. <laughs> do we want to do more or no? <laughs> I'm just regretting the fact that I said detention instead of timeout. <laughs> That's mostly what's going through my head. I was trying to think of what to do for Birmingham jail, and I was like, the detention, you already took that. God damn it. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so this is an awesome question. Yeah, and um, I, I really feel it. I wasn't this way about race, but like the part where she says it's quite frankly just really annoying because she takes up airtime and sucks the nuance out of conversation. I feel like I don't know, isn't that every smart twelve year old's memory of themselves, or at least for me, like I thought I was smart. Mm. And I, I think about young versions of me and think, wow, like I really was probably just talking on some bullshit that everybody realized was bullshit. You think so? Uh, maybe not. Maybe people respected my opinion back then. I don't know. Well, it seems to me like, and I think this is where you really um, unmask the caveats that the parents are going for. If you think the child's not adding en- enough nuance, give them more classes on this. Let the, they're clearly interested in the material and they yeah. enjoyed the material. Then give them more information. Give them books. You can't just be like, I'm not racist, but I think it's annoying that my child is giving limited perspective. Then teach them more. Let them like follow that area of interest then i think that's true at the same time otherwise it's just that the parents are kind of annoyed by anti-racism and that no amount of education would be so? enough it for seems them like to... she might actually be understanding that this girl's kind of putting her foot in her mouth around like biracial family members and like speaking a little bit above her pay that's rate. something you can read yeah. in a book that's also stuff that you'll probably read in a book about anti-racism that's true that's true i get that I don't know, I I guess I just kind of get this vibe of, like, this is growing pains, understanding when you, being an ally or being somebody who's supportive or understanding something means... Are you telling her to take her to a black cookout and then, like, let her just roam around and be embarrassed by how much of an asshole she looks like? No, but I I get it. I I think your answer is really good. I wonder if the daughter, like, is there going to be difficulty in educating the daughter quickly enough? This is kind of like... This is a social faux pas she's committing, which shouldn't mm. embarrass a parent. Everybody gives kids get-out-of-jail-free cards on social faux pas. Nobody really gives mm-hmm. a shit. Unless, like, she has some weirdly woke family member who wants to get pissed about this. Mm. Um, but, I mean, d- why would you feel secondhand embarrassment from your child? They're a child. It's like, I don't know. You feel secondhand embarrassment yeah. when your dog does something? Like, I don't know. I think the other thing that I don't really believe in is the idea that uh, I would feel, I don't know, maybe I'm going harder on the parents than the kid. I feel like you really identify with the kid, whereas I just feel annoyed by the parents. I think it's annoying that they're like, I would feel like this if it was any subject. If she was, if she went to soccer camp and she knew about the rules of soccer, it was like, um, actually, <laughs> to people about the, like, whatever soccer conversation they were having, I'd be like, I don't know if I'd feel upset about that. Like, I don't know. Who cares? Like, I don't think she's bringing up a bunch of good anti-racist points and they're embarrassed by their own privilege. I don't think that's what's going mm. on. But it sounds okay. like maybe you do. You think they're just not willing to confront their privilege and racism? Um, I don't know. I don't have this. I don't have this resonation with uh, the kid of like, I remember being an annoying kid who was like, um, actually, whatever. I don't I don't. Uh, I think a 14 year old could probably understand probably some of this more than most par- uh, Americans get educated on this in their entire life. Mm. One good summer course might be better than most Americans get on any of this like subject matter. Like, if every single person in her, at her family's party is like, you know what, the only MLK quote I like is the one about how you shouldn't care about people's skin color. And she was like, um, actually, he had some other ideas. That's better than what 90% of Americans know about MLK's, like, ideology. Hmm. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the kids are being a little jackass. Okay, so your advice, do you want to give advice to the parents, then? Give her more stuff to read. If you don't, if you don't think she's well-read enough, give her more stuff to read. But don't you need to give advice to the parents to check their privilege? Um, my advice to the parents is, uh, maybe instead of sending her to coding camp, send her to woke camp and they'll, she'll get, she'll get at least one good coding session out of it for diversity stuff. <laughs> okay. My advice is to the mother. Why not the father? What's different between them? I thought the mother was writing in. But still, they, they both had the issue. Mm. Tell her that you did a 23 in me and it turns out all her ancestors are slave owners just for the entertainment of seeing her reaction. <laughs> Do a Ben Affleck? Is that who that was? 
Shout out to one of my high school teachers who I loved. She was delightful with telling us a story about, uh, I want to say her parents-in-law who did an episode of a genealogy show where 50 Cent came on. And the reason they were on the episode was because their ancestors owned 50 Cent's ancestors. Whoa. That is an insane reason to be on TV. Wait, what was your, wait, you're telling them that that's your advice? What were you, what uh, you saying? I would say tell your daughter that she comes from a lineage of uh, slave owners just to see her reaction as she tries to do like reparations. I feel like, I feel like her probable response would be like, yeah, that's why I'm trying to do the work to correct it. Whereas you guys are trying to tell me to hush all the time. Man, Adrian, do you want this girl's number? I don't get what's going on. You love this girl. You're like, she's fighting racism. Ahura. Uhuru. I just, I don't, you know what? Maybe I'm, uh, I'm, uh, what's the word? I've been influenced by a podcast that I just listened to where it was an 18 year old activist for, uh, uh, against sanctions on Cuba, against the embargo. And I was like, and like the host was like, damn, at 18, I was just doing Minecraft and like playing like Fortnite or whatever. And I was like, I wasn't that bad, but it is pretty awesome that like some of these younger kids are like coming out pretty strong, especially Gen Z. Gen Z is a very politically charged uh, generation. Like I wouldn't be surprised if she actually was in the right on most of these. I don't know. Hmm. I want her number so I can add her into my organizer's contact list, Paul. Not anything gross like what you're saying. <laughs> All right. Do you want to hear the answer? I like that we're a little separated on this. I think she is well-meaning and probably right in some ways, but I do think that somebody that age could kind of be like a a bull in a a bull in a tea shop sort of thing, like China, China shop. Honestly, China what shop. I would do is I would feed her more of my opinions. That way, she could have the like veil of I'm a kid. You don't have to take me seriously, but I can say the things that Adrian wants to say to you. <laughs> Damn. Okay, that's actually some good advice. Welcome to being the parent of a teenager. Pace yourself. You have a long road ahead of you. First, forget about getting her to realize anything. She'll get there on her own. It may take quite a while, but this period of being sure she knows more than anyone around her, especially her family, and most especially her parents, is likely to be time-limited. Second, I know you're finding her teensplaining annoying, but try to be happy for her and proud of her too. I mean, you can go on being annoyed, but can you make a little room for pride too? She's a white kid who had an introduction to the notion of systematic racism Cracker th as honky. that she has absorbed and is applying in all kinds of situations. Of course she doesn't know everything, but she knows something crucial that many, most I'm thinking, most white kids don't know anything about. If I were you, instead of telling her to quiet down and listen to her elders or reminding her how little she knows about the world, I'd buy some interesting books that she has not yet read. The nonfiction that everyone who's trying to educate themselves has been reading, like Ibram X. Kundi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, I read that one, uh, Ijimo Elu's So You Want to Talk About Race, Stamped by Kendi, read that one too, Jason Reynolds and Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility have not read that one, and I recommend nobody reads that one. <laughs> but also, novels, memoirs, and poetry, like Toni Morrison, Jasmine Ward, Jacqueline Woodson, Tayara Jones, Octavia Butler, Lucille Clifton, Morgan Parker, Morgan Parker. I could go on, but that should get you started. I've read two of those. She can't go on. <laughs> that was it. That was her exhaustive list. <laughs> um, and leave them around the house so she can easily access them. You should read them too. Maybe some of these books will even lead to genuine conversations between the two of you, or between your suddenly woke child and other members of the family. A conversation is always better than let me tell you what I know to be true. Oh yeah, well let me tell you how much you don't know. Exchange. As to the question of her explaining racism to people of color in her own family, if they are adults, I hope they will be able to be both amused by her condescension and able to remind her gently and with love that she is talking to them about their own lived experience. If they are other teenagers, I'm sure they'll work this out between them. In other words, she's 14, not four. It's time to let go of the reins a little. It'll be good practice for the future. And finally, when it comes to just being plain annoyed that she's taking up too much airtime and you mean it when you say you'd feel the same way if she were going on long about anything, then feel free to say, as I assume you would, if the subject were one you consider trivial. Enough, let's talk about something else from time to time. But since the subject isn't trivial and she's on fire with it right now, I wouldn't shut her down. I would dig in with her. And not by telling her how much she doesn't understand, but by asking questions that demonstrate that there's a lot you're trying to understand too, which I hope is the truth. How do you feel about that? I felt it.
That's good. It kind of it kind of incorporated both parts of what we said. Your part of educator more, my part of she's just a kid. Like, why would you feel secondhand embarrassment? It's kind of like the point of that age to be a little embarrassing mm-hmm. and be reprimanded for it by society, not just be told by your parents how to act. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the reading list was a little bit lib, but uh, other than that, the one thing that got me was, oh, I was thinking about an equivalent thing. So can you pinpoint a subject that you were like this as as a youngster? Because I think for me, it might have been religion. I think I was a little tough on myself. I don't know if I was this annoying, but continue. I think religion might be the one where like people like would uh, uh, talk about religion or something. I have very religious uh, cousins and aunts and uncles. And so I wouldn't debate people. But like, I remember one time, I think I was at a soccer game watching my dad and my uncle and my aunt came and said, so like, oh, how's Dorley doing? Is she, like, going to church or anything? And I was like, nah. And she was like, oh, is your mom? And I was like, yeah, I think my mom's going to uh, church right now. And they are like, what about you? How are you doing? And I was like, oh, no, that shit's not for me. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> and, like, that was, like, the conversation. Like, I don't know. I think I had, like, a lot of that when I was a kid. Whereas now I have a little bit more respect about, like, you know, the communities and in, in, in religious and faith communities or whatever. You know, whatever. Maybe but. at the time I was more of, like, a Democrat sort of progressive. And I think there was definitely moments where I was like, <laughs> Glenn Beck is the dumbest guy in the world. How could you be so stupid as to listen mm. to Fox News? Barack Obama can't do anything wrong of that sort of kid. <laughs> I rearranged the letters of uh, Obama and it spells aroma. And I don't like what I'm smelling. Oh, yeah. I was really John Stewart pilled at a young age. Yeah, I think I was too. I mean, that was pretty radical in South Carolina. But also, I do remember going to my neighbor's house and they were like, you can't miss this... You can't miss this Glenn Beck. It's great. And I remember holding my tongue. So maybe I am being a little harsh on myself. I did have a little bit of like, okay, don't be rude. Just whatever. Yeah, come on, Paul. You're always a nice boy. I was a polite boy. Um, Okay, do you want to do third segment or do you have a little bit more to say? What I wanted to do was give you a quiz of child actors who maybe have the worst growing pains of all in a very disgusting and sick Democrat-fueled city of L.A. Um, Maybe the worst growing pains of all is trying to be a child actor. Um, And I wanted to show you a before and after picture or do like, this is what they did when they were a kid. This is what they're doing now. Can you guess what they did? But I couldn't really put that together. So instead, I'm going to give you a quiz where, Paul, we're going to let you have growing pains. We're going to give you this quiz. Are you ready to be a professional child slash teen actor? Okay. I think I am. All right. I also took this quiz last night so I can let you know what my results came as, but uh, let's take this together. Uh, or not take this together. I'm going to give this to you and I'll let you know what my results are later. Um, okay. Do you have what it takes to become a professional child actor? Are you confident, talented, and persistent? Well, you better be. Take this quiz to find out if you've got what it takes. Number one. What is your age? Under 18 years old, 18 to 24, 25 to 30, 31 to 40. 41 to 50, 51 to 60, over 60. In this lifetime or a past? This is for you right now. In dog years? Mm-hmm. Under 18. All right, under 18. That's a good start. What is your gender? Male, female. This is not a woke quiz. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. Oh, uh, wait, really? That's the only two options? Yeah. Uh, male, I guess. Okay. All right, click male. A little limiting. Why are... Number three, why are you taking this quiz? One, I've done a lot of school plays, community theater, and I've been taking classes at a performing arts school since I was little, and I am so ready to go pro. Two, I think I might want to get into acting. It looks like fun. Three, bored, nothing better to do. If four, I'm on a podcast where for some reason I'm doing this quiz? Uh, No, there is no fourth answer. Okay, uh, two, acting seems like a fun time. Okay, right, yeah, yeah, I think if I, when I did this, I made sure to click that I have done some community theater, theater and some school plays and stuff, but. No, I think Paul I was more of a, fun, yeah. You're more of a band guy? What were you, seems what did you do as your like art thing? a job, nothing. You didn't, you drew, right? You did art. I thought arts was part of, like, high school mandatory compulsory education. Yeah, I, I took the drawing classes. I like drawing. Okay, okay. Four, what is a professional teen child actor from your point of view? One, somebody who is on Broadway every night or has their own TV series or who stars in many movies. Two, somebody who probably has an agent, goes to many auditions, and tries to get work. Three, I don't know. Is four, has a creepy parent who's obsessed with turning their child into a star? 
Yeah, do you want to do that? Yeah. Okay. Five, do you think you are ready to go pro? What did you let click me, Let me get your that? answer. What did you click Oh, on? I clicked I don't know because there was no fourth answer. Oh, okay. Then why'd you lie to me and say there was? This isn't an interrogation of me, Paul. This is a quiz for a third segment on a podcast that no one's going to listen to. Okay, I think it might be more fun to get your answer candidly before I give you the options. So what do you think? Do you think you're ready to go pro? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, if anything's going to hold me back, it's the fact that I don't look like a child. So being a child actor is going to be difficult. But here's the thing. You can do that in, you can, you can do that in post. Child actors are famously untalented, and I also know nothing about acting, so I think we fit right in. Okay, which do you, which which of these do you think matches that best? Well, I've been working on it forever. My parents are on board, of course. I'm a beginner, but I've got loads of natural talent, so yes. I'm not sure, hence me taking this quiz. Probably not, just taking the quiz for a second opinion. Probably be. Okay, you're a beginner, but you got loads of natural talent. You got the riz, you got the it factor. Yeah, for sure. Come on. All right, number six, what is your acting training slash experience in a nutshell? Uh, um, Lying to people mostly. Oh, wow. Is that where you want to leave that? Yeah, I mean, we all wear a mask. Life is but a stage, Adrian. Okay, I'm going to put knows Shakespeare by heart on this one. Uh, no, the options are starring roles in school plays and community theater, acting classes for years, dance classes, starting when I was like two and voice lessons. I'm also the president of the drama club and I'm vice president of the dance troupe in the glee club. Or I took an acting class for the first time last year. I'm a beginner's ja- I'm in beginner's jazz and I was in the ensemble of a school play. Or three, I went to a Broadway show once. Why is this quiz made for, like, Leah Michelle? Who else has this much, like, their parents were obsessed with giving them? Who is Leah Michelle? <laughs> the, the the main star of Glee, who, like, was famously, like, the character in that show, and that, like, her parents wanted her to be a star from a young age, oh, and gave her, like, acting and singing classes and all that. Okay. I'm gonna go with the, I've seen a couple shows. All right. Number seven. Have you expressed your desire to go pro to your parents, Paul? Adrian, I have not, sadly. Why? I don't they know. They would love you and support you either way. I'm, they absolutely would not. That's so funny. You think if I told my parents <laughs> I was quitting my job to try to be an actor, that they would love and support that. <laughs> you really misunderstand my parents. <laughs> I said love and support you, not your choices. Uh, Maybe they would continue loving me. That's a maybe. They would 100% definitely not support <laughs> Yeah, that's that's brazy. Um, okay, so we have yes, no, not yet, planning it on, on it though. And why do they have to know? Why do they have to know? Okay, all right, all right. Number eight. After training, what is the first step to going pro? Auditioning. Okay. Your options are wait to be discovered. Um, duh, find a big budget movie audition online. Sounds like what you said. Or getting headshots, creating a resume, getting a Coogan account, a worker's permit, and trying to get some professional work off of legit websites while looking for an agent. What am I, a nerd? Fuck that shit. I want to audition. <laughs> okay, big budget movie, baby. How do you think Daniel Radcliffe made it? I really have no idea. I think he auditioned. I have no clue. <laughs> I thought he was a transphobe as a kid, and she was like, I like it. I like it. You got the it factor, kid. Also, can you teach me not to sound Australian and to sound a little bit more British? <laughs> That's how J.K. Rowling moved to Turf Island. True story. That's true. Why is it important to have the support of your parents? Ooh, Paul. This might be rough for you. It's not important. Hmm. We have, because somebody has to do your hair and makeup when you're starring on Broadway. Two, trick question, it's not. Three, because there isn't a form you can sign without them. They are your legal guardians in entertainment world as minors. They have to be there for you. No agent can sign you without your parents. You can one hundred percent fake a signature. What the fuck are they on? And about? you can't ever be in an audition or job without one of them. Fake it. Trick question. It's not. Yeah. Obviously. All right. Number ten. Okay, we're going to get more into seeing how educated you are on the business end of things. It is really important to know that you're <laughs> I'll going tell you into- what, My pro tip for the business end, I'll go ahead and answer this. <laughs> Avoid Harvey Weinstein's office alone. Okay, actually, I'm going to put that down as your answer. <laughs> that is one of the answers. <laughs> it is really important to know what you're getting yourself into to not make sure that you're getting in- taken advantage of, okay? You said- 
this is general just do you know the business the two options are uh i haven't studied or no probs i've spent more time on sagafra.org than i have on facebook that is true you don't have facebook what does an agent do um i don't know they they really like they eat a lot of like a fish-based diet rice soy sauce there's a lot of countries in asia so i don't like i, I don't know asian you do an asian joke with this <laughs> what what does you ask me what does an agent do an asian you <laughs> He, he like transformed the way you said it to try and get the jut in there. Um, okay, your options yeah, are find you Yeah, there's a lot of countries there, Adrian. They don't all do one thing. Like, yeah, there's some broad swath. Not everybody knows the same things. Not every like, there's, uh, are we talking Japanese people, Korean people, Indian people, Bangladeshi people, Thai, Nepalese people, Laotian people. people. There's a lot of different people. I mean, I said Chinese as one thing, but like obviously there's like Han people, there's Cantonese people, mm-hmm. there's Uyghur people. There's a lot of different people in China, Mongolian people. Like, I, I don't know why you're asking me what do Asian people do. Number 12. When, if you have an agent, how many auditions will you get? Will they get you per month? I don't know why an Asian is looking to get me auditions. <laughs> You don't. You don't have to keep that bet going. You can. You can, you can take this what one on bet, more squarely agent? if you. When, if you have an A G E N T, how many auditions will they get you per month? Auditions. Uh, uh, zero. But I'm I'm by request only. Like you have to offer me the position. Oh, offer only. Okay. Offer only. I'd say at least one every two days minimum. I don't know, once a year? It depends on the time of you, time of year, where you live, how good your agent is, and just what is going on. You really can't give an estimate. I think there's some kind of policy, like they promise to give you at least a certain number per month. I guess one a year is closest to zero. Um, say you get a job. What happens to school when you're working? No more school, baby! We're rich! Alright, let's see if this aligns with Why any of those. Why stop asking me about Asians? I feel like I had heard enough. Also, the quiz. There's a tutor on set, and you have to get at least three hours of schooling per day. You go to school during the day and work after school. You skip it and make it up when you get back. None of those were no more school, baby, I'm rich. I think you skip it sounds like the closest one, though. So how many of the auditions that you do do you actually get a job from? I do zero, so zero. Almost none. Oh, okay. The two options are totally varies, but usually less than half, or, well, you get almost all of them. You're always working. I guess less so I think it's the first yeah. one. Yeah, less than half. Say a famous director saw you walking down the street and asked you to star in his movie. Pretty unrealistic. What do you need to do legally? Assume you've worked it out with your school and your parents. I assume sign whatever contract they put in front of me. Okay. Your options are nothing. If they want you, they want you. Or, you need a child performance performance workers permit and a trust account. That sounds like a contract they're putting in front of me, baby. I'm signing it. Okay, so you want the second one or the first one? second one. Okay. If you're working on a set, can the production company just make you do whatever they want? No, you're the star. You can make them do whatever you want. Ooh, okay. So it says, no, there are all kinds of laws, rules, and regulations to protect child actors. Or what can I say? It's a hard business and your employers can work you as hard as they see fit. Uh, no, I'm not working hard. I'm a, I'm a star, baby. Number not one. Hardly working. All right. Hope you're not feeling overwhelmed. Now we're going to do a little bit of terminology. I'm basically just going to ask you for the definition, starting with a drum roll, headshot. Define it. Mm, when one of the directors, he takes the, like, you know, it's kind of like a reaction shot. It's like a shot of your, like your neck up. Like it's a, when you and another actor are playing off of each other. He's gonna get a headshot. Is that actually what you think a headshot is? No, it's it's a photo. <laughs> it's a, okay, wait, a headshot. <laughs> That's like in Call of Duty when you're sniping. Okay, well, here are your <laughs> options. It's a photograph of your face to show Asians, casting directors, etc., what you look like. Um, Wait, why is am I that when you're show shooting Asians? Them? What I look like? <laughs> um, is it when you're because sh- Disney owns Disney's owned by China? Um, is it when you're shooting a movie slash TV show and the camera zooms in on your face? <laughs> that kind of sounds like what you said. Or three, like a gunshot in the head. What does that have to do to with anything? Is this a trick I mean, question? DRC, baby, come on. <laughs> those those all kind of had the same energy of what you were saying. 
And here we go. Okay, now some basics. Say you got it. This might be the most complicated question. Say you got a job doing a one week gig on a TV show. Let's say you're playing somebody's cousin that's staying with them and then going home. The character you're playing is your age, but nerdier than you. And they've told you they're probably going to curl your hair. How should you how should you show up on set? This one's an interesting one for you, Paul. You don't show up on set because you've declined the offer to be in a starring role in a movie. Why would you play why would you play a guest actor on a show? You don't want to be a TV star. What are you poor? Did I do that? Show up as though you've already been through hair, makeup, and wardrobe, come with the curled hair, grab some glasses with some tape in the middle, wear some suspenders, and draw on some fake zits. They'll love it. Saves everybody on set the trouble. Unless they ask you to curl your hair in advance, just come with clean hair, regular clothes, and no makeup. You can show up in your pajamas. You'll have to shower and brush your teeth there. Um, number two. Why would I do shit? They're gonna take care of it for me. Alright, and last question, Paul. Are you ready for this? How do you feel about becoming a professional child actor now? I want it, but it's it's so easy to get it. It's like, do I want it? All right. Your answers are, seems easy. I'm going to go for it. Seems tough. I'm giving up. It seems really hard, but it's still my passion, and I love it, and I will pursue it. It seems like fun. I might give it a try. I just want to be famous, and if I have to act to get there, I will. Oh, I just want to be famous. If I gotta act to get there, I will. Well, actually, no. A, it's gonna be easy. All right, here we go, Paul. Calculating the results. How similar are we doing? You seven else beyond? Your result is fifty-seven percent. Yes, you are ready to be a child actor. I'm pretty close. Your result is also eighty-one percent. Not yet. <laughs> slow down it seems like you need a bit more experience and training before you go pro it is so important to make sure that you are an expert in not only the craft of acting and singing and dancing if that's what you would do but also that you know enough about the business not to get taken advantage of hold on and keep pressing forward you'll get there someday i put my actual age for this quiz and i got a yes you should be a child (laughs) actor and i thought you would too i was hoping that would be a big punchline Wait, the bit well, that I was supposed to ask start acting like a baby who wanted to be a star? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I like that you at least got 51%. Yes, they're like, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, you shouldn't, but you should. Also, can we describe, like, there's no way Selena Gomez knew all that bullshit before she became a star. Like, <laughs> her parents might have. I don't know. Horrible advice. What are you talking about? Show up, have a good time. You think you think the Geico Gecko knew about all this before he signed on? You think all the cavemen from the Cavemen Geico show knew about all this? It's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, okay. Do you want to do a big fact? No cap. Let's do it, buddy. All right, big facto. Growing pain. What was this episode about? Oh, growing pains. Okay. Did we learn anything? I certainly did. If you want to be a child star, apparently you have to know about a bunch of nerd-ass shit. And my no-cap is, uh... If you don't want to experience growing pains, you just have to never grow and live a life of underachieving and be happy with that. Bye, buddy! Ouch, 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 ouch!